Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to the new and improved Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. For realsies this time. Like, actually. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel. My pronouns are he and him, and I'm here with my proper co-hosts. My name is Cassidy Williams. My pronouns are they, them, and I come from a fantastical culture known as the French. We? (laughs) And uh, apparently, according to this movie, we spread the plague of zombieism from the colonies. But I'm here to tell you that's false propaganda. As opposed to true propaganda. Right. It's an important distinction to make. It is. It's a falsified report. It was actually one of the English royal family that spread it. I believe that. Mm-hmm. Irresponsible they is. But they knew that everybody would just gang up on us if they blamed it on the French. Okay, you can go back to previous episodes and find out what Jamie's favorite word is. (laughs) Regicide. Okay, I was like, I was trying to run through every possibility. (laughs) It's actually pandemonium, but regicide is a close second. I mean, they're pretty solid. If we made a word tier list, they're up there. I would say so. But who am I? Who are you? I'm Jack Olander. Right now, my pronouns, I'm liking she, they. Ooh. Yes. And uh, I'm a set... Preach it, sister. I'm a... uh, Yes, thank you. I'm a set of uh, wooden teeth. Are you George Washington's wooden teeth? uh, Not specifically, no. (laughs) Are you uh, one of the four horsemen's uh, wooden teeth? You know, uh, it's really hard to say. They, You know, I was put in the mouth of a human... Now they're a zombie. I don't really get a good look at who it is. That's More fair. like at all the people it isn't, one at a time. Uh, first-hand account of everybody they've eaten. Yeah, I'm not sure who it, it is I'm in the mouth of, but let me tell you, they, they are a hungry person. Oh, boy. They must be pretty powerful, then. Oh, yes. But man. I protest with splinters. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Yeah. So... Guys, let's talk about our movie for the week, which is, of course, as you can tell by now, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Uh, That's how you know. So, of course, we all know that Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is a 2016 romantic horror comedy directed by Burr Sturz. A lot of our rom-com supernatural movies have been from the mid-teens. Yeah, that was definitely like a mood. I think so. But uh, this one in particular stars Lily James, Sam Riley, and Matt Smith. And unsurprisingly, it is a loose adaptation slash reimagining of Jane Austen's classic 1816 novel, Pride and Prejudice. Without zombies. Right. That's right. The famous author who they named the Texas City after. Austin. I didn't know that. Yes. They spelled it differently because Americans are bad at spelling. Yeah. (laughs) It was the Wild West, you see. I'm more of a fan of her um, great, great, great grandson, Stone Cold Steve Austin. (laughs) Oh, yes. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Which also sounds like a Wild West name. Yes, absolutely. Good thing his gimmick wasn't 
a cowboy, though, because, you know, the smoking guns didn't go over too well. Austin 316 <laughs> said so. That's right. Mm -hmm. He said, I just watched this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, guys, I can sit here and talk about wrestling all day. We should probably jump into a quick summary of this film. <laughs> So, guys, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is a book that I read years ago when it came out, having never read a Jane Austen novel before. I've only read Pride and Prejudice, so... You're missing out on at least a third of the equation. Uh-huh. I only know zombies. Fair. Okay. And together we make up a good team to talk about this movie. <laughs> That's right. At least we all watched it. <laughs> True. So, the film is... Is like half based on the book. Okay. And then they add some new elements, I guess, to make it more movie-like. Right. But the general outline follows the Jane Austen story pretty closely. Yes. About love and marriage and class. That's right. So broad strokes, we've got Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. Elizabeth comes from a family of... Five sisters who live with their parents, and the father knows that he is basically going to leave nothing to his children, so he and his wife are trying to marry off their daughters so that they don't have to live like the filthy poors. <laughs> That's right, and so the entire premise of Pride and Prejudice, which is still kind of carried throughout this movie... Is, yeah, all of the Bennett girls finding husbands and uh, two, three of them. No, two in this movie, two of them do. Right. Um, And Darcy and um, Lizzie, Elizabeth, they kind of hate each other at first. <laughs> uh, because they're both very prideful and arrogant. And prejudiced. Against each other. Not zombies, though. But hey, they're both zombie hunters. Right. In <laughs> fact, all of the Bennett girls are zombie hunters. And a lot of people in this setting have trained in either China or Japan in martial arts to be able to fight zombies. Oh, so I assume that there's a lot of Asian actors in this film. Uh, yeah, about that. There's, oh, a, there's a drawing of an Asian person. In the beginning. I guess that will do for 2016 Hollywood? No, <laughs> it won't. So, uh, interspersed with them trying to find husbands is this other plot. Them trying to survive. Where they're in a post-apocalyptic zombie setting. That's right. These quirky hipster, not like <laughs> the other aristocrats... You know, they're just trying to navigate their professional and their love lives. Meanwhile, at the Church of Lazarus, someone whose name is, of course, Wickham, is trying to play the role of Antichrist. Yeah. Classic. He must play D&D. That's right. Leading the intelligent undead and the four horsemen of the apocalypse to bring about the end of humanity in his unquenchable hunger 
for power and can, not brain. Can I just say ending humanity based based on what? <laughs> based on a good idea. There it is. So, unsurprisingly, by the end of this movie, Darcy and Elizabeth team up to kill Wickham, or do they? They ride across an exploding bridge, and they end up living happily ever after together. Except they don't really, because at the very end of the film, we get a shot of Wickham leading an army of the undead to attack them, and then it ends. Yep. (laughs) In the most pointless ending of all time. Every wedding is just great until the four horsemen arrive. Everybody knows to beware when the four horsemen try to crash your wedding. Ugh. Famine? No thanks. I like to feed my guests. <laughs> War? We already said it's a family gathering. <laughs> oh, got him. <laughs> Pestilence, you should meet my mother-in-law. Oh! oh! <laughs> Death, not even once. (laughs) All right, guys. We can probably head into the delve. Welcome to the delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of pride and prejudice and zombies. (laughs) All right, guys, so I think we should probably start our discussion by talking about femininity and female gender roles. And who better to talk about this than me, a cis dude? Yeah. So something I found interesting about this film is Elizabeth and her sisters are able to kind of nicely maintain their, like, preferred gender expression while also being... Badass zombie hunters. I know. While there is some hullabaloo about other people who think that it is not proper for them to kind of live both of these lives, to be gentlewomen or to be like proper ladies and warriors, in their family, it's a completely acceptable thing. And they don't let other people's expectations really drive them. They're not really concerned with what other people see as an issue. They're just kind of like, no, I'm going to fight zombies, be an awesome, like, martial arts badass, and also wear a pretty dress when I want to. Well, but then there are some members of the aristocracy that see it as, like, a status symbol of being able to have studied a particular martial art. That's right. They mentioned that the rich study the martial arts of Japan, while the wise study the martial arts of China. That's correct. That is the mythology of the film. And yes, I guess they they kind of this is one of the parts of the movie where they don't lay very good groundwork for their ideas. There seems to be an element of, okay, well, Japan, of course, at this point in history is closed off to the West. So people who can afford to send their family there have connections. Yes. So I think that is supposed to be like a bit of history that you need to know to understand that. Otherwise, it just kind of feels like there's no reason for the distinction. And it is mentioned in the intro and then brought up in one scene. And that's pretty much the extent of it. That's true. Aside from all of the martial arts fights throughout the film. Well, I'm saying that is the extent of the the distinguishing between Japanese or Chinese training. That's right. The discrimination is only brought up one time. Yeah. When um, Lizzie goes to 
see her sister Jane at Mr. Bingley's house. Uh, she had fallen ill on her way to visit him. They were like courting. Um, and so Lizzie, yeah, they courted. Lizzie came to visit her, and she was kind of like sparring with words with Bingley's sister. Now, Liz is more accustomed to sparring with daggers, right, or swords, or fists. But Bingley's sister, I think her name was Louisa. She's ridiculing Lizzie for not having studied in Japan and kind of implying that she's beneath them. But we, of course, know that Liz is not one to be trifled with. Yeah. That she is an incredibly accomplished warrior. And this is also the scene where we get a very funny line where Liz asks Darcy if he's read The Art of War in the original language. And he's like, no. And she's like, well, then you haven't read The Art of War. And I was like, this is clever. She says it in Mandarin, though. Right. (laughs) Which is pretty hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me wish that, you know, for one, there were any Asian actors in the film to kind of, like, have a reason for making them be martial artists. Yeah. Because there was a rich tradition of European martial arts called HEMA. Yeah. Historical European martial arts, mm-hmm. which are based on the long tradition of martial arts that existed in Europe, of course. And I mean, it makes me wonder why they didn't decide to just have like Liz's family be like knights, like retaining the martial arts style of like the, the warrior class of knights because they're English. I guess there is like the status symbol of like sending your child abroad to study. To show that you can afford to do that. Yeah. It's true. And I'll also say that in a lot of popular media, knights are portrayed as typically very stoic, not very fun archetypally. Well, this isn't super fun. (laughs) But like martial arts movies tend to be a lot of fun. If you look at like Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan. Both of them are, their movies are typically very fun and can be silly while martial arts fights are happening. And I'm thinking particularly of the fight between Catherine and Liz over Darcy's hand in marriage. Right. Catherine is his aunt and she doesn't want Liz to accept Darcy's proposal. That's right. That's a fight that starts for very funny reasons. (laughs) Yes. I mean, there's a lot of absolutely ridiculous premises to many of the setups in this film. And it works. It's pretty fun. So I found it interesting that in this film, despite while there are some people who disparage Liz for being a proper lady and a warrior, she never internalizes that. And the movie does not have to end with her returning to like a basically the life of a subservient wife, right? Like, that's not what her and Darcy's relationship is based on. Their relationship, you could problematize the hell out of their relationship. Totally. But the element of it that I think works really well is that unlike, say, Mulan, a story that, you know, a movie we watched and have talked about and and enjoyed, where Mulan goes into the army, becomes like a great warrior, and then goes back to a life of domesticity and like servitude to a husband, Liz is going to continue being a warrior. That's true. 
That's right. Early on in the movie, when Liz is at a party with her sisters, she says like, oh, I'm never going to become the subservient wife to some man. And they're like, oh, just wait till you find a man that you like. And he tells you to put your like sword down for good. And she says, my perfect match wouldn't ask me to do that. Yeah. And like it almost makes the original premise of the story where Liz seems to kind of compromise on her disinterest in marrying somebody like Darcy. And then by the end of the book and play, she does marry him in this. There is more like, I I almost feel like the zombie apocalypse and martial arts element makes this story work better. It does because they're kind of like comrades in arms. Yeah. Had mutual experiences together that help you see how they might have grown closer Right amount of time. They've saved each other's lives multiple times. Exactly. So (laughs) we don't imagine like the follow up to this is going to be like, oh, Darcy's going to go off continuing his zombie hunting while Liz settles down to a nice life of domestic servitude. Like, you know that they're going to go off and be like a badass warrior couple, which is a movie that I think would have been or which is an ending to the movie that I think would have been much stronger than what we got, which is a zombie horde and like the promise of a final battle against a zombie army that just cuts off. And you know, there's not going to be a fucking sequel. Yeah. It was a very campy, silly ending. It was, but like it sets you up for the promise of a better conclusion that we don't get. I know. It's like, did they think they were going to make a sequel? Maybe. I feel like it was just the way that they ended movies in the 2010s. Maybe. Like, with this kind of, like, dramatic, like, uh-oh, the bad guy's still here, and uh-oh. A dramatic cliffhanger? Yeah, like a dramatic cliffhanger that's never gonna have a payoff. Yeah. Is that what almost happened with Warrior Nun Season 1? <laughs> In fact, since I don't want to watch season two that much, maybe that is what happened with Warrior <laughs> Nun season one. Oh, I've got to watch season two to see if they actually finish that scene that they had a cliffhanger in. Yeah. That half of a scene that they left us hanging with. Queer Reddit really liked Warrior Nun season two, and that might be the biggest reason I want to see it. Fair Aside enough. from watching with you guys. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I feel like... In an interesting way, this movie does a better job of sending a decent feminist message than a lot of movies we have watched, and and even ones we've enjoyed in the past. It's true, and possibly even the source material? Possibly. Possibly. I mean, granted, Pride and Prejudice was pretty progressive for its time. Yeah. Oh, certainly. The idea that you might marry somebody that you actually like. Yeah, scandalous. Okay, so you mentioned the zombies a little while ago. I did. I did briefly talk about zombies. And that brings us to our class struggle section. Oh boy, I hear that theme music coming. It's rolling around the bend. Wow, that was awesome. So the 
Zombie outbreak is believed to have been a plague that came over from the colonies. And those filthy Americans. There's a rumor that it was French people living in the colonies that started it. Sounds like an English rumor to me. Yeah. Um, so they blame the French. I thought that the plague coming over from the colonies was um a typical idea for the time of like and even now, like blaming like a marginalized group for something like this. Um, and the in terms of like the French angle, the French and the English were fighting between each other for many millennia <laughs> <laughs> in all their iterations. <laughs> Back when they were Celtic tribes then too. <laughs> oh man, we should remake this movie, but have it be uh like Stone Age European. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well, the zombies would be way more manageable in Stone Age Europe. But so while we were watching the movie, I was paying attention to like who the zombies were. And with the exception of a few of the zombies in the beginning, most of the zombies were people of the lower classes. Yeah, I mean, zombieism can spread kind of from anyone to anyone, but we kind of get like the unwashed masses. Yeah. That's right. Instead of sounding like the High Elves of uh, Lord of the Rings, they sounded like they were going to go meet Professor Henry Higgins from My Fair Lady. <laughs> Professor Henry Higgins? That's right. <laughs> Ring around a rosy. That's what they sound like. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of framed like the aristocracy is trying to hold humanity together and it's on them to kind of keep the world functioning and then everybody else is just bound to become a zombie and to be fought against and actually we see that zombies can retain in this movie can retain their humanity their, their humanity at least for a time but they're just ruthlessly cut down no matter what if they don't consume human brains, they stay kind of sentient. Yeah. Which doesn't make much sense to me, like, in terms of the bio the biological element, but as a moral storytelling device, I think it functions pretty well. They retain their intelligence, but have an insatiable hunger. Yeah. Right. And so... Most of the zombies are depicted as members of the lower classes. Orphans. Lower socioeconomic class laborers and tradespeople. Catholics. <laughs> the downstairs. Right. Yes. Literally the downstairs. Servants. And um, the aristocracy frames everything as like the zombies or the poors basically are... Uh, they're plotting against the aristocracy to take over everything and wipe out humanity, wipe out the ruling class. Which is <clears throat> a bad thing to do, I'm told. Uh-huh. Because the ruling class are basically the only humans left. Yes. Pretty much. This movie has an interesting parallel to Only Lovers Left Alive, where the vampires kind of saw themselves as the only cultured ones. Right. 
And they in that movie they called humans zombies. Yeah, that's an interesting point how many of the undead are the poor and downtrodden, and then we are basically exclusively seeing the perspective of if not like wealthy, then privileged folks. Although that is the base story of Pride and Prejudice, too. Right. But by adding this disease element to it, it does create probably an unintended, maybe, or intended bit of social analysis that is interesting. Well, it's like the top 1% are still alive and the 99% are zombies coming to kill them. <laughs> oh, right? boy. Yeah, and there was like this one incident in the recent past when... Like, all the poor people living in between London and the rich palace estates in the country were overtaken by zombie hordes and weren't protected by anybody. Right. <laughs> so London has basically become, like, a walled city. Yeah. That's right. And there's one person who is actually poor, but is passing as a wealthy individual and is also passing as not being a zombie at the same time. That's right. Secretly poor, secretly a zombie. Coincidence? I don't think so. Mr. Wickham. Right. Interesting point. So, borrowed from the narrative of Pride and Prejudice, Wickham and Darcy kind of grew up as best friends, and Wickham was promised an inheritance from Darcy's father, and, oh, big surprise, he actually got it despite lying to Elizabeth and being like, oh, Darcy fucked me out of my inheritance. It's like, no, dude, you squandered it. But, you know, what happens when you give the poor a little bit of money? They squander it. They don't yeah. know what to do with They're, the dang stuff. It's like a poor with money is kind of like a mule with a spinning wheel. Nobody knows where he got it. And dang, if he knows how to use it. I spent it on all these fish and chips, but they went bad before I could eat them. Yeah, it's kind Scathing. of <laughs> it's kind of painting it like, oh, don't give money, go, don't give handouts to people because it's just going to be a waste of resources. That's right, and and it's treating it like it's a handout. So yeah, I think that um, the siege of London was an interesting uh, story point and series of scenes that. That highlights this theme. So, um, during the siege, uh, Darcy and Liz are kind of talking with each other, and after she had saved him, and they're standing in a field with zombie hands reaching up out of the ground, and she mentions that they're standing in a potter's field, and yes. they're just kind of callously like re-killing everybody again, and I just thought that was a very poignant scene where they're the rich aristocracy just ruthlessly killing people that are grasping for help kind of <laughs> and, and for the listeners who are unaware a potter's field is where they bury the masses of the poor right in a mass unmarked grave exactly great point Cass. and i think these things that we have mentioned segue us well into the third point Okay. The idea of shifting culture and expendable traditions. Okay. Oh, interesting. Now, when I say that, it's because in the original Pride and Prejudice book, 
without zombies. That's right. <laughs> a lot of the traditions which are being upheld in the culture uh, of the time it was at least thought to be appropriate, right? Yes. They were they were the traditions and the actions of people living in the time where that was the most acceptable and expected. The movie is set well after the apocalypse has begun. Good point. Most of the world has collapsed, and we are staring into a bubble, a little pocket in the world, <laughs> where some of the old traditions of the empire still exist. It, right. It makes it so ridiculous every time the movie goes back to following this, you know, slice of life love story. I don't know. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. That is right. Did you say he diddled? <laughs> Nero diddled while Rome burned. <laughs> well, don't talk about Nero's shittle while Rome was burning. <laughs> But that's actually a really good comparison because <laughs> you, if you look at a global scale, the world is just burning and the main characters yeah. or most of them are acting like nothing is happening. It's true. They keep throwing these lavish parties to celebrate, which is great, especially in an apocalypse. You need something to keep up morale and community. Yeah, but they feel like they can't be touched out in their estates. That's the right. They feel like invincible, like, oh, who would dare hurt the aristocracy, yeah. right? But every time they throw a party, there's a zombie outbreak. Yeah, I mean, this movie does feel oddly prescient in a post-COVID world. Guys, what if we went to a party without masks in <laughs> 2020? Uh, <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> That's right. They're anti-vaxxers. And, uh... <laughs> any, uh, yeah, so they keep throwing these parties like nothing has changed. Sure, they have martial arts and stuff like that, but uh, since women aren't expected to apply those martial arts in fighting the zombies, it's almost just decorative. Yeah. Like wearing yes. a piece of jewelry or a dress. It's like, oh, I trained in Japan, right? Right. But you're not expected to go out and fight zombies with that knowledge. You're still expected to marry a rich husband yes. and stop using your martial arts. And just sit around at home faffing about. Exactly. Like uh, like the scene we said earlier, Lizzie's sisters are saying, like, wait till you find a husband and you lay down your swords for good. Yeah. And... It's a constant point throughout the movie, like, oh, is this sister going to marry this rich guy? Is Lizzie going to marry rich this shithead rich guy? or that rich shithead? Exactly. Meanwhile, people are dying by, in, by the hundreds. Yeah, and in the presence of the main characters, people are dying by the dozens. Yeah. <laughs> Every couple of days or weeks, it's fast. You're right. And people, people they know well. Exactly. Yeah, they're losing hundreds of the remaining members of humanity. And they hear news from the battlefront constantly. So there's information that they are losing this war against the undead, and they're just not taking it seriously whatsoever. 
They're throwing parties when infections are going on. <laughs> An active war front is moving toward them, and they're talking about money like it still matters. So you're saying this is very accurate to real life. Did yeah. Nostradamus write this movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a point at the end of the movie where Darcy is talking to Mr. Wickham about like, hey, I'll just give you the 10,000 pounds that you demanded from me if you call off the siege. We'll square away your bank account. And Mr. Wickham is like, dude, I'm leading the apocalypse. It does not matter yeah. anymore. Money he, has no meaning. He He's kind of like the only realistic one. He's like, bro, I just destroyed London. Yeah. And made them uh, all finally. undead. I love that we have British listeners. <laughs> We're like, they destroy London. Finally. <laughs> Our British <laughs> listeners hate London. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was like, money is meaningless to me at this point. Yeah, and finally he said something. because Right. He's got a literal unkillable army. Yeah. And so it's just so many of the traditions of like, oh, you're supposed to marry a rich man for money. Money doesn't matter anymore. You and then you will stop using your martial arts. You should. Everyone should be actively <laughs> yes. doing martial you arts. You should be teaching whoever doesn't know martial arts. It's true. Yeah. No one at this point in society has an auxiliary role. You know, no, no one has the luxury of just being a trophy spouse. Right. If, if we were trying to create a realistic version of the story, these are Spartans. Like the yes. English have become the Spartans. All you can do is just prepare for war and right. train. Yeah. That's right. And they they do reference some of their disadvantages in the film, such as a zombie can make a new zombie one bite. Yes. Minutes later, there's another zombie. That's right. They go through the whole biology of, like, to have a human child takes nine months of, like, basically incapacitating the mother and then 16 years before you can start training them and a zombie can make another zombie in one second. So like people understand what they are up against. And I, I feel primarily it is the older generations who are enforcing like the old traditions. It's true. They just sit down to have tea time with like the richest woman in the land at one point in the movie. Yeah. And that's when Wickham is trying to tell them they should be working with the zombies and they scoff at him. That's right. Who knows what outcome we could have gotten if they had agreed with him there. He did <laughs> say, like, I want you to remember this moment when we could have changed history and you scoffed at it with hardly a thought. That's right. And Lady Catherine is shown as, like, a significant badass. She is... Of the older generation. Yeah. But she is someone who is, like, such a renowned martial artist that even the younger generation we have who are, like, really well studied, Lizzie, who's, like, you know, above her peers in the martial arts, says to Lady Catherine, like, we both know I can't fight you. Right. Yeah. Right. She's a one-eyed Lena Headey. Like, what do you expect? Exactly. Like, how much more badass does it get? Exactly. And so it it, it does feel <laughs> poignant. <laughs> <laughs> 
it feels poignant. It feels very of poignant. It feels very of our times. Just seeing people ignoring a lot of the issues at hand and just being like, "Oh, but look at these traditions that are just like so important." As soon as Only, we can, yeah. we'll go back to things as normal. Exactly, and you can't go back. You There's have to no go forward. Back. Yes. Yeah. We have learned all too well in 2023. There's only forward, and forward might just be off the cliff. <laughs> and that's the theme. Thank Nicely you. Nicely said, Jack. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, then I've just got one more question for you. What is it? Yeah, ask us, Jamie. Is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies art? Thanks for asking, Jamie. No. <laughs> Devastating. You... Why or why not? Please provide your answer. Must I'm going mean... to go into teacher mode now. <laughs> no yes or no answers. <laughs> I think it does something interesting with the source material especially like coming at it from only having read pride and prejudice (laughs) without zombies yeah i didn't read the book with zombies (laughs) you're missing out man um (laughs) and apparently this movie deviates from that too there's no church of lazarus there's some very different character takes the movie's a nasty little deviant yeah (laughs) is it a bad boy (laughs) I think that it it says more about class struggle, uh, which I found interesting. And it does something really interesting through that to the main characters, because they're the people that you're supposed to identify with. And nobody in the audience who's going to watch this movie is going to identify with these characters. Exactly. It, Except it, for maybe like the, uh, like, I'm just like not like the other girls type, sure. Yes. Maybe, but the way it frames <laughs> them as like ruthlessly putting down the zombies who are all the poor people, they just seem like ruthless rich killers who are trying to keep everybody else down. And it, I didn't see them as like real, like actual protagonists at all. And that, the movie creates that. I mean, that's fair. You did really turn me over to the Church of Lazarus through your discussion. <laughs> Thanks. I might be a convert. Let me get them brains. Yeah. So I think the movie brings in an interesting aspect of social commentary that wasn't there, at least in the original source material and possibly not in the book Pride and Pre- Prejudice and Zombies either. Yeah, I see what you're talking about. Uh, A lot of Pride and Prejudice was highlighting and criticizing the culture of the time in a very clever way that was supposed to be funny. Like, look at look at how silly we can be. Yeah. And it's a send up of its own cultural context. That's right. And that's still sort of carries over into this but these days a lot more of the humor we see in this comes from like the 
the culture shock of having the upstairs downstairs kind of proper aristocrat society of 200 years ago combined with like globalist martial arts action sequences <laughs> of today and uh like that is silly and funny however i think the humor comes from the jarring stark contrast but the movie really could have used the examination of that time period's morals and practices through a modern lens. This is fair. I think that maybe part of where the movie has some missteps is that it kind of came out like a decade too late, right? Like the zombie craze that spawned Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which was just a very tongue-in-cheek, like, oh, well, zombies are big right now, so I'm just going to write this, like, kind of ridiculous rewrite of Jane Austen, uh, Seth Graham Smith, the, the writer of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, like, kind of capitalized on the zeitgeist of the time. And then this movie comes out in 2016. Zombie movies were already entering the like warm bodies phase where it is more of a like re-examination of what it means to be a zombie and i think that's what they were trying to do with the church of lazarus stuff but that ended up falling pretty flat in the actual execution in the movie doesn't feel like it goes anywhere especially at the point you made earlier jamie about the ending yeah the ending where it's just like oh well these like Zombies who were trying to kind of maintain some humanity. Darcy just infects them all or like feeds them all human brains. So they become like traditional zombies, but also they were already like taking England. They were taking London. Like they were being led in a war. So we're not really inclined to feel sympathetic for them in the context of the story. When we examine them as like a, allegory for the poor sure we might have a different understanding of them but in the context of the movie like they're supposed to kind of be the traditional monstrous zombie who just has no motive which of course was also a critique of like capitalist culture and the unwashed masses and everything but it it just feels like they were trying to do something original with this but it ends up falling really flat and kind of the best examinations it does, I think, are how it kind of reexamines what it means to be feminine and strong, where you can maintain a culturally accepted standard of femininity and also be like physically strong. Yeah. And I think that where the book and the movie do a decent job of that is because Elizabeth was a character written to be a female character. And then in the context of this story, given the quality of being an amazing warrior, rather than needing to like write a character that has to be like just a tough girl or whatever. That's exactly right. They do improve a little bit on some of the issues that were, being struggled with in the original text, Pride and Prejudice. In this, they break it up with, like, being progressive in a silly, fun action way, which is cool, but there is one line specifically, one aspect that troubled me. Okay. That they, like, maybe rightfully didn't focus on because this is an action comedy, 
romance action comedy. Horror. There's a scene, yes, there's a scene where Lizzie's mother is yelling at her like, you're crazy for rejecting the proposal of that guy you don't love. He's rich. If you don't take his money, you're going to wind up as nothing as a old seamstress spinster. spinster that can't escape that life. Horrifying. Right. And that like already being a woman in that time period seems rough. Being a poor woman. My goodness. And <laughs> so like, they they imply it's horrific. Yeah. Well, of course, the aristocrat implies that. But that line is a threat. Yes. And it is completely unexamined. Maybe this isn't the media for it. But it's like, whoa, it, it, it's where you look in the corner and you see a sleep paralysis demon and you're like, what's that? And they're like, oh, we're not looking at that. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that this movie like nails its social commentary. Like, I think you can make a very strong case, despite uh, having a problematic creator, that like Buffy did this 20 years earlier and better to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this movie was definitely silly and fun, but uh, I don't know if it was trying to, uh, you know, fix the political issues of <laughs> no. 200 years ago. No, I don't think it was. I, I would say it is an interesting thing because it is kind of following that tradition that, like, you know, good artists steal. Yeah. Because it's literally a stolen text. Somebody just took... Jane Austen's work and I was like, that ah, zombies in there. Which is funny. Which is funny. And again, like it feels pretty dated. And like this is a movie that I enjoyed watching. I don't know that it needed to exist. I like the fun rewrites where uh the characters start hooking up. It's not in this. It's not this. <laughs> it's uh it's similar to this. Oh, you're are you talking about Slash Fic? Oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> Elizabeth slash Darcy fic. Wait. Wait a minute. <laughs> so, of course, we all know that what constitutes art is a subjective concept, but I would say we've come to a pretty satisfactory conclusion that Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is almost art. Yeah. There's art in there. Exactly. It's a pentimento piece. Which is a painting over a previous painting. Oh, very nice. Oh, there you go. So, guys, what did you think of that skit last week? That was a lot of fun. And we had fun making it. We I, did. I had fun editing it and listening to it multiple times. <laughs> uh, yeah, whenever I'm, like, gaming and I can hear Cass cackling across the room <laughs> while editing an episode, I know that we're in good shape. Yeah. <laughs> It was silly. We were funny. <laughs> I and, think so. Yeah. I always get a kick out of them. And I'm sure listeners are going to be excited for next week when they get our Pride and Prejudice and Zombies skit. That's right. It's a good one. It's to die for and come back to life. Oh, my God. Supernatural. <laughs> a little extreme. <laughs> a little bit. But if you didn't hear our announcement, we are changing the format of our show a little bit, and we are going to more of a bi-weekly release schedule. We're going to have our main movie episode every other week, and then 
a little in-between skit that you used to get at the beginning of every episode. It's a little tasty treat to tide you over. Like some brains. <laughs> yeah. Yum, 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 yum. And the reason we're doing this is that, uh, you know, we need work-life balance. Yeah. Yeah. Healthy balance. That's right. And in the coming weeks, you can look forward to some changes to our Patreon. We're going to streamline that a little bit. But also cut it back to what is a manageable level for the three of us. Because it turns out that uh, life uh, gets in the way. (laughs) That's right. As part of our Patreon reimagining of our tiers, there shall be a more equitable and balanced distribution of the fine art we will be putting out. A distribution of wealth, our favorite thing. Yes. While you distribute the wealth, we distribute the art. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like a good uh, equation to me. And then we cheers our teacups. (laughs) (laughs) Mine's cracked. But uh, coming up here, if you have the means and you would like to support our show, you could go over there to patreon.com slash swords and satire and join our community there. That's right. We're going to have some silly outtakes. It is a place where we post some of our silly creative projects when inspiration strikes us, such as rewriting histories, such as silly duck arts, and sometimes even movie posters. That's right. Those are all things we've done in the past. Maybe they'll be done in the future. They could. But, you know, we are not all... The top 1% of British imperial society. We don't all have aristocrat funding we got from marrying into loveless, wealthy relationships. Ah, I wish. So (laughs) (laughs) So we don't always have a few extra coins to send to our favorite podcasters. But there's another way you can support the show. What's that, Jack? Tell us, Jack. Well, you can tell people about it, of course. We don't advertise the show. The best way of getting it out there is when you guys tell people that you like it. Yeah. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. You know who'd like it. Maybe drop a review on iTunes. They tell me that that is a very effective way to get listeners. That's right. We know how much energy it takes to review, gosh, anything that you actually use. (laughs) So we really appreciate it if you do that. And, you know... By spreading the word, telling your friends, telling your family, you're spreading that art, increasing your community, and we appreciate it. That's right. And you know, one thing that's never going to change is our appreciation for the Almighty. So until next time, Hail Hail Crom! Crom!